according to the commandment of the everlasting God, who commanded the everlasting gospel to be preached in all nations for the obedience of faith, turn in the scriptures to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Before I read this passage to you, let me very briefly say, if at any time my statements that I never wanted to be a pastor, do not want to be a pastor, and never will want to be a pastor, impinged or impugned the glory of the God that I get to represent, I am sorry to him and to you, he knows me much better than you know me, because I am thankful for the privilege, though I never sought it, nor its publicity. But I do love him and I love his word, and so I would be a fool to say otherwise. I trust that the wedding we had yesterday, though restrained, said enough to glorify the God of the Bible and the Bible of our Creator God. Ephesians chapter 1, I want to start our study of knowing God today this way. And I'm asking Him to bless it to your hearts and minds. At the third verse, I commence reading. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. The origin and the source and the first cause of all things is God the Father. That should be obvious by his title of Father. Because a father must precede the Son. And so he does. And so our blessings in Christ Jesus that verse 3 describes in those words all spiritual blessings and heavenly places that are in Christ are ours because God the Father hath blessed us with them. For He is the one to be blessed first and most of all for having chosen us in Christ Jesus before the world began, as the fourth verse tells us. His operation of grace in the eternal phase of salvation and His eternal counsels was not only election, the choice that He made of us in verse 4, but also our destiny being beforehand determined according to the word predestination in that fifth verse which involves our adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. And I especially want you to note at the last words of verse 5, it's according to the good pleasure of His will. It is not the will of the sinner. It is not the will of Christ at this stage. It's the will of God to put us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is done this way to the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. God made us accepted by choosing us in Christ Jesus and by seeing us in His only begotten Son, the spotless Lamb of God. We are acceptable in His sight. This is our blessing of salvation. I want you to always remember that there is a respect and a sense in which God is our Savior because He chose the means of salvation and sent His Son to be the Savior by dying for our sins. But it all begins with God our Father. Yesterday in the wedding, I made some comments, and I want to elaborate on them just for a moment here. The blessed God of heaven, creator of heaven 
the earth, the sea, and all that in them is, who dwelleth among the holy cherubim, chose us to be the bride of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He chose us to be His adopted children. And if your mind is so weak that you think that sounds somewhat incestuous, that there are sisters marrying a son, it's because you don't understand all the facets of the diamond of God's Word when it comes to salvation. And so He can speak of us as the bride of Christ and the children of Christ all at the same time so that we can be comforted by the fact that He's married to us and He's adopted us. Both of which give us a fuller dimension of how much the Creator God loves us. There's no problem with me when I read those different expressions of how God has saved us. The great God of heaven arranged a marriage for His Son, and you are the bride. That is an incredible thought. It is according to the good pleasure of His will. It is for the praise of the glory of His grace. It was done before the foundation of the world, and it was done by the first cause, and the only mind, and the only wise and true God in the universe. In addition to that, that glorious God wanted to build Himself a family. And He didn't want that family being made up of holy angels, but rather of poor and needy sinners, as Adam just read to us from the 40th Psalm. And so there's adoption in this passage. And so we are the children of God, and we are the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ, because He's going to, He's not ashamed to call us brethren, according to Hebrews chapter 2. Now, if you look down, and I'm going to skip verses 8 through 10 because I don't intend to preach this passage this morning, but to remind you of it, look at verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. We have His own will and the good pleasure of His will, Back in verse 5. That we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. We were designed for the praise of God's glory and we want to give Him that glory. He's going to get glory by having saved us, but let's give Him our active glory by praising Him and thanking Him for saving us. Verse 13, In whom ye also trusted. That is a consequence and a result of Him having chosen you and predestinated you according to the counsel of His own will. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that is the good news of it, the message of it, the report of it, the glad tidings of what He did for you. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. And that 14th verse has more adjectives and nouns that ought to delight your soul than most verses in the Bible, which is the earnest. That is a security guarantee. That is a promise to pay. That is a performance bond. That is a down payment, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Remember, the passage has already told us we were predestinated to our inheritance because our destiny was determined beforehand, which is indicated by the prefix pre. Destination. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption. There's going to be a purchase made finally of a purchased possession. It's already bought and a redemption is going to be made. Jesus Christ paid for it with His blood, but our bodies are the purchased possession and they're put in the ground if the Lord Jesus Christ tarries, but they're going to be redeemed from the power of the grave and delivered into heaven unto the praise of His glory. Even your bodies have been purchased. The bodies of your loved ones who were the Lord's elect and known by their election, known by 
by their righteous lives and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're purchased and they will be raised from the dead to spend eternity with their spirits reunited to them in heaven. Now it's said in verse 11 that he who predestinates us works all things after the counsel of his own will. And I want us to just rejoice in the fact that this great God who is in this room, who is all around us, who is in us, who wrote this book, who established this church and all churches like it, who sent his son to be the head of this church, that God has arranged for us to be the bride of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to be his adopted children because he works all things after the counsel of his own will. And the first will that's ever involved in salvation is not the will of Jesus of Nazareth. It is the will of Almighty God. I am that I am will be your Savior. The Lord God will be our Savior. God our Father is the source of all blessings according to this passage. He arranged a marriage and an adoption for His Son to include us. The various phases and operations of grace... To know Him or by His design. And within the practical phase of salvation, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is to introduce us to His Father. To our Father. The Lord Jesus Christ came to save us that we might know Him and know His Son, Jesus Christ. He has come to give give us an understanding that we might know Him that is true. I do not want to be foolish, but I wonder if your minds can grasp what I'm talking about. When boy meets girl, and I don't mean a 10-year-old, it could be a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old, but it's still boy and girl. When a boy meets a girl, and the boy sets his affection on the girl, And the girl is overwhelmed that the boy would have any interest in her. That is one level of affection. That is one level of joy and mercy. That is one blessing to be considered. However, would you think with me for a moment that the boy, no matter how handsome, no matter how successful, no matter how kind, would say to the girl, I can't wait to take you home to introduce you to my father. Now do you know what I'm trying to say to you? The Lord Jesus Christ has as His mission, His purpose in saving us to introduce us to His Father. My Father is greater than all. He would say in John chapter 10, So now it's time for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I don't illustrate very often because I don't want to cloud the Word of God with illustrations, but I sure hope that you can grasp the concept and the point that the Lord Jesus Christ's role, and I'm about to read it to you, is to introduce us to God. And without Him, we would never know Him well, even if our minds were enlightened to see creation clearly. Which they're not by nature. Matthew 11, verse 25, As the Lord Jesus Christ witnessed, prostitutes and tax collectors, two of the despised categories of men of His nation, and women of His nation, of course, hearing his gospel and believing it, and then seeing the seminary trained, the intellectual, the intelligence group of his society rejecting him, he made this statement. Verse 25 of Matthew 11, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. 
Neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I want the 27th verse in this context. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. The eternal counsel of God and His thoughts that stand to a thousand generations were embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ to whom He imparted all judgment. The coming judge of this world is the Lord Jesus Christ because God has appointed Him to be that judge and has assured all men of the fact that He raised Him from the dead according to the 17th of Acts. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. No man knoweth the Son but the Father. Jesus would say in John chapter 6, No man cometh unto me except my Father draw him. No man knows the Son except the will of God is exercised first. No man can know the Father save the Son Himself who knows God and is the express image of His person. But spare me from getting ahead of myself. And He to whomsoever the Son will reveal Him. We've got the second will involved in us ever knowing God. The first will is God's will. The one that we read about in Ephesians chapter 1 where it was God's will and according to the counsel of His own will and and according to the good pleasure of His own will that He chose us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But then it is the will of Jesus Christ to whom God the Father has imparted all judgment and all authority to reveal the Father to us. And here is a short English lesson for you. There is a considerable difference between whosoever and whomsoever, though there be only one letter difference in those two words. One is a subjective noun or pronoun, meaning it is the one acting. Whomsoever, with that additional M in it, is an objective noun or pronoun in this particular case, and it is the one being acted upon. It is the one the choice was made for. When we read in our Bibles, whosoever will, that is a man willing. But when we read here, whomsoever, it is someone else's will being exercised for them, toward them, to them, by someone else. And it tells us who that someone else is. It's the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He to whomsoever. It's the object of the will of the Son The Son will reveal Him. It's the Son's will that reveals God to whomsoever. If you get to a verse in the Bible and someone wants to tell you about whosoever will, you just remind them that they ought to read the whole Bible and find out the wills that were exercised toward them before they were ever made willing. It starts with the will of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, it then extends to the will of the Son of God to reveal the Father to us. And only then, after the work of the triune God in our regeneration, will we ever will to come to Christ. Because we will have been drawn by the Father. We will have had the Father revealed to us by the Son. We will have been given life by the Spirit. And only then is it whosoever will. And whosoever will, you can quote all the Bible verses you want. Whosoever will, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Of course he'll be saved in the great day of judgment because God chose him before the world began. Jesus Christ revealed the Father to him. The Holy Spirit regenerated him. And I don't mean those things necessarily in that order. And there the will of God is long before the sinner's will. But you don't forget this verse right here. And in our pursuit of knowing God, we need to recognize and remember that it's the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who introduces us to God and who by His will chooses to bestow the love of God upon us and reveal God to us. 
It's His will, and we're the whomsoever. One little letter. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Some say the whole relationship of man to God depends on man's free will. A matter of whosoever will. But man's will is way down the list in order of God's salvation. They overlooked that the Bible teaches that it's God, that knowing God depends on the Son's will. For whomsoever, not whosoever. Glory to God. Look at John 1.18 with me. Can you, can you scurry with me through the Bible a few places where I can show you how the Son reveals the Father to us? And oh, we want to know the Son because it's through the Son that the Son introduces us to God His Father. It's the Lord that chose marriage to illustrate the relationship. It's the Lord that chose adoption to illustrate our relationship to God. I didn't make up my illustration of boy-girl. I simply wanted to put it in terms for your mind to grasp, but it's God that chose the illustration. He's the one that chose the forensic term justification. He chose the relational term reconciliation. He chose the economic term redemption. It's the Lord that chose the 17 words of the New Testament that describe salvation to us so we can take that diamond up to the light, the Son of Righteousness, and look at it and see 17 facets of our glorious salvation. And the most glorious one of all, or I don't even like to say those words, but one near the top is adoption. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. John chapter 1 and verse 18, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. The Lord Jesus Christ is how we view and see and know God. We'll never see God. He is called the invisible God. No man can see God, nor ever shall see God, but we'll see the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says many wonderful things about Him. Look at chapter 6 of John. Oh, what a story, brethren. And we haven't been fully introduced to our our father-in-law yet. You say, well, I don't like the words father-in-law. He's our father. He's our father-in-law because he justified us. Take it any way you wish. He's our father in heaven. And there's a day of introduction coming, the likes of which is staggering beyond our imagination. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You're only seeing a token of them on this side of the great day. John chapter 6 and verse 46, Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ knew the Father in a way that no one else knows the Father, and He's our Savior, and He dwells with us by His Spirit. Look at chapter 14. John chapter 14. It's no priest or pope that can help introduce you to God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the ministry that, that preaches the Word of God to you that assists, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ and His will. John 14, starting at verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, that is to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If we want to go to God the Father and know Him better, then we have to go through the way, truth, and life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus continues, though, that's where we ordinarily stop in John 14. Let's keep reading of our Lord's answer to Thomas. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Could you jump right beside Philip and say, Amen? Amen. Show us the Father, and it will suffice us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me 
hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? As much as we're ever going to know of God, is going to be revealed through the Lord Jesus Christ because He's the express image of God. And so we want to see God working out many aspects of of details about Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. There are things we learn about God the Father in Scripture that He did before Jesus of Nazareth. But it's in Jesus of Nazareth that we see Him. And that's what He told Thomas and Philip. Look at chapter 17 and verse 2. As thou hast given Him power over all flesh, Jesus in prayer to His Father, as thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that is another way of saying, all things are delivered unto me of my Father. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The work of salvation through Jesus is for us to know God the Father, and for us to know Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. Jesus, in this same prayer, said, I have manifested thy name. When something is made manifest, it's made clear and plain. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Notice the order here. They were God the Father's. God the Father gave them to Christ, and Christ kept them in God's word. And that is how salvation works. But I want you to notice that it is always from God to Christ, through Christ, to us, that we know Him. Look at verse 25. O righteous Father, the world hath not known Thee. And we sure agree with that statement. But I have known Thee, and these have known that Thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them Thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith Thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Is that a pretty close family? This is the family of God. This is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ sending His Son and crucifying His Son to pay the dowry for us to be His Son's wife to pay the purchase price for us and our adoption to be His children. Look at it any way you wish. It ends up in the same way, same place. This is the family of God and how close and tight we are by the choice of God through Christ to reveal Himself to us. The infinite, the incomprehensible, the independent, the invisible, the eternal God, our Father, declared to us, made manifest to us, dwelling in us, that we might know Him. Unbelievable. Wonderful. Come back to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This wonderful church at Ephesus, the first 14 verses of which in this first chapter describe their election and predestination in Christ by the will of God, the apostle then goes on and takes up his prayer for them. And he says in verse 17, his, this is his prayer request for these saved Ephesians. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. We are going to know God by God our Father, the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Because knowing God is by revelation, and it's the Spirit's revelation or revealing Him to us in our inner man. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Think of a person famished from hunger and tiredness and the dullness that is in their eyes, and then give them a few mouthfuls of honeycomb, as the Bible describes happening to Jonathan in the heat of a battle all day long, and his eyes were enlightened. Light comes into those eyes, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Meaning, 
what it's going to be like to be in heaven with our Father. The Holy Spirit reveals all that to us. Now we come to chapter 3 for these same elect and predestinated saints. In chapter 2, we are told that they were regenerated saints, so we're past the vital phase of salvation and into a practical phase where Paul prays for a practical operation of the Spirit. And this is what we referred to many times, but I want to read it again in light of this family unity and God wanting us to know Him through Jesus Christ's revealing ministry by the Spirit. Verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love the reverent language of the Bible. A verse like that just... I just love staring at it and repeating it. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Most of our family is in heaven. There's only a few left on earth. Maybe a few more to be born on earth. Then we're all going to be there. And we're all named after this God. Because He is our God, and we are His people. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. There is something that can happen to you and happen to me on the backside, the past side of regeneration. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that God would increase our faith by the Holy Spirit, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. This is something beyond the natural man. This is something beyond just bare regeneration. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in our inner man to grant us an extra measure of faith to lay hold of Christ by faith and to know the dimensions of His love that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Christ's love for us is equivalent to God's love for us because it's God's love for us. It's infinite. How can we comprehend its dimensions? The Holy Spirit is able to grant us strength in our inner man by His might, according to the riches of God's glory, that we can comprehend the incomprehensible God when it comes to His love for us. Or at least as much of that love as He wants us to comprehend. Take it any way you wish. It passes knowledge, meaning it can't be figured out any other way than God granting it to us. This is why we want to pray to know God. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1 and verse 1. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son whom He hath appointed heir of all things by whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. Now we could keep reading, but I want to stop right there. God has expressed Himself and revealed Himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament saints only got the prophets and the Word of God from them and by them. But we've got it by His Son. And His Son is the brightness of His glory, and His Son Jesus is the express image of His person. We want to know Christ, and Christ's purpose is to reveal His Father to us. It's through Jesus Christ that we go to God and learn more of Him. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. In the Old Testament... God dwelt between the cherubim, one of which was positioned facing inward on each end of the Ark of the Covenant. And that was only symbolic. It was only figurative. It was only a shadow of heavenly things. And though it was only a shadow, only one man got to ever be in the presence of those two cherubim 
and that mercy seat once a year with very special blood that was shed for the remission of his sins and the sanctifying of that place to even go in there in the presence of God, even though it was only figurative. Flush the figurative. The reason the new covenant is called new because the old is decaying and has waxed away and should be thrown away. Because we want to go into heaven itself, into the presence of God, and we can. Verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. That word holiest is not there as some vague theological concept about the holy nature of God. It is there in short for the holy of holies. The holiest place in the universe where God dwelt. It was the small compartment in the tabernacle. It was the small compartment behind the veil of Solomon's temple. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. It's permanent. It's not something that died. It's someone who died and lives forever that is there to help us in, which He hath consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, His flesh is the new and living way. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. If there is anyone in under the sound of my voice that thinks for their sins, there is a reluctance on the part of God to know them and to receive them. You are blaspheming the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not showing a tender spirit. You are showing rebellion against God's word. Jesus Christ shed His blood. You have nothing to bring. There is nothing in your hands that you can cling to bring to God to be acceptable to Him. If you think your neighbor is more righteous than you and has more right to God's throne, you misunderstand everything, I mean everything, the Bible has to say about salvation. We are all corrupt. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all gone out of the way. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. I would rip that part of your temperament and personality right out of you if I could reach inside you and find it. You have full boldness to go into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with your sinfulness. The greatest sinners in the Bible were the ones that ran the fastest to Christ. What is your problem? He loves great sinners. Jesus died. There's a new and living way. And it's not just that He died. He's alive forevermore making intercession for us at the right hand of God. We can run straight to Him in boldness. It's a new and living way. It's open. We can come boldly. We can come freely. Don't let your thoughts destroy the Word of God. Don't let them war against the Word of God. I can't re-preach last Sunday, but 2 Corinthians 10 tells me I'm supposed to make war against your thoughts. That's why I would say something so nasty and ugly as reaching inside of you and pulling your heart out. Because I want to pull that excuse of a melancholy spirit out of you. You are not extra sorry for your sins. If you understood your sinfulness and you understood the value of your Savior, you would run to Him. It's the woman that was a great sinner that was at His feet while the other self-righteous one sat there at that table. She came. And He said, Thy faith hath saved thee. Thy sins are forgiven. Go in peace. I'm not talking about the figurative presence of God. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about my little conversations with the Lord, I want you to be thinking right now about yours or the ones you should be having. Of when I just get to talk to the Lord Jehovah past the Lord Jesus Christ because He's higher than Him. I get to talk past Him to God the Father in Jesus' name is how we pray, isn't it? But we're talking to someone other than Jesus. You might be able to find one prayer in the New Testament made to Jesus. That's because Jesus stood up at the right hand of God when Stephen was being stoned. 
And so Stephen said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But it's the only time you'll hear it in the New Testament. Because we pray to God. And Jesus taught us to pray to God. In my name, he'll hear you. But we go past him into the very presence of God. And I ask God to help me. And I ask God to show me. And I tell God, while I never wanted the job, I will represent him as well as I can. And I love him. And I, and I thank you for creating me so that I can know you. And thank you for revealing yourself to me. Because we can go right to him. There's a new and living way. And it's not that foolish tabernacle way or temple way that was... I know it's the third time I said this. That was figurative. That was shadowy. This is not figurative or shadowy. This is the real thing. This is going right into the presence of God. And all of this has been to say that the purpose of Jesus Christ is to open that way up for us and to reveal God to us. And when you see the compassion of Jesus... To sinners, that's the compassion of God to sinners. When you see Jesus forgiving a thief, when you would want to hear a little longer confession, I know how some of you think. That confession was just a little too short. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. I'd like a chapter or two of him listing all his sins. Then maybe Jesus could say, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. But you're forgetting my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heaven is above the earth are my ways and thoughts higher than your ways and thoughts. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now what should we do? Should we doubt that? Should we wonder about the thief just grieving for the rest of his life? Surely that can't be true. Even though God through Jesus Christ said it, surely it can't be true. I'm just such a bad boy. I like the song, Too Small a Price to Pay to Die Beside the Christ and to have heard those words. For those of you that know the song I refer to. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 23. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Chapter 5 of 1 John. I've quoted this one to you. I read it. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. This is eternal life. It's not so much as we get to walk the streets of gold, and I hope that that isn't the chief delight you have. It's that we get to know God. Jesus has given us an understanding of knowing God, according to this verse. One more, and I close with this point. I mean, I close this point of my sermon. Second John chapter 1 and, and verse 9, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. And so guess where we want to stay? in the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we don't want to move from it. Amen. Look at John 14. That's my introduction. It's most of my sermon this morning. That's just too bad. I am in no hurry. Amen. I want you to understand that there is a joint effort in the Godhead and with the Lord Jesus Christ to reveal God to His children so that as we move toward heaven as sojourners and pilgrims down here in this world, and as we get to heaven, there is a concerted effort by divine wisdom to reveal God to us, that we might know Him that is incomprehensible, that we might comprehend Him, that we might have an understanding, that He might be declared to us. This is God our Father. He hasn't adopted us just to give us golden streets to trample on. He's adopted us and saved us so that we can know Him, and it will be the greatest pleasure that you have in heaven. It will not be seeing your dead relatives. Are you kidding me? I would hope you'd walk right past them with hardly a smile to see the Lord Jesus Christ. If God in His mercy allows us time to fellowship with them, which wouldn't surprise me at all with the Bible telling us that death for saints is being gathered to our people. 
The glory of God is God Himself. And the glory of heaven is God Himself. And the light of the place is the Lamb of God. And that's what we want to be there for. And before we get there, I hope that today we want to see His face. We want to hold His ankles. We want to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see the glory of God. Show me Thy glory. And He did in the face of Jesus Christ who could forgive a thief in one sentence on the cross of Calvary, who could forgive a woman that was a great sinner at His feet and defend her against the whole room. Oh yes, and we can just keep going. That is God. He's right here. He's right around here. I, can, I know He hears every syllable that comes from my mouth. That is a good thing. And that is a horrible thing. When I go home every Lord's Day and know that his word in Proverbs 10.19 is absolutely true. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. But to be able to talk to Him and tell Him exactly how much I delight in Him and desire Him and want to show Him by my life and my words, I know He hears me. And I know the Lord Jesus Christ opened up that new and living way so I can go right past the Lord Jesus at His right hand, right straight to God. And I want all of you to do that. And I want to do it much, much more. So I'm preaching on knowing God. Not only is the Lord God knowable and approachable, He wants us to do both, and so He's given us the means to do both. And I just showed you a huge means. I showed you Him sending His Son to be the means of revealing God to you and to whomsoever the Son will reveal Him. O oh, Lord God, send Your Son Jesus by the power of Your Spirit to strengthen us with all might in our inner man that we might know the love of Christ that passes knowledge in its full dimensions until we are filled with all the fullness of God. If we settle for anything less, we're cheating Him and us. We don't want anything to become more important. The infinite, independent, my favorite attribute, more on that, invisible and incomprehensible God can be known, right. wants to be known, and made means for it. And He'll even dwell in us. I know I've mentioned this to you, but I want you to look at it again and just see it in print. John 14, verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. This is a practical relationship with God after regeneration. The first phase of salvation is God's choice of us before the world began. Then Christ died for us on the cross. Then sometime after conception, we are regenerated. But then after that, there is a practical relationship where we can draw nigh unto God and He will draw nigh unto us that is not directly involved in salvation. It's a consequence of salvation, but you can get to heaven knowing God very well or knowing God very little. And we want to go to heaven, and before we even get close to heaven, we want to know Him very well here. And this verse tells us how. This is not how God first sets His love upon us, because the Bible tells us we love Him because He first loved us. But what's the order in this verse? He loves us because we first loved Him. If... It's a conditional relationship here with consequences. If a man love me, he will keep my words and my Father will love him. This is a practical expression and embracing of us in the love of the Father by the Father drawing nigh unto us personally when we love him and keep his commandments. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Look at First Chronicles chapter 28. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Oh, I know you've heard this one too. The Lord is all around us. 
There's free access straight into His presence. Lay hold of Him by faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as the express image of His person. Know that Jesus Christ has opened that way wide up for you. Just go to Him. Speak to Him. Embrace Him. Tell Him that you love Him. The the price has already been paid. The veil has already been rent. The blood has already been sprinkled. Go. 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 9. David on his deathbed speaking to his son Solomon. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father. Know thou the God of thy father. That relationship between David and God was unbelievable. And David wanted to impart that to his son Solomon because Solomon was God's favorite and Solomon was going to be king of the nation. Thou Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father. I could just stop right there. Know thou the God of thy father. Do you know what God has done for me, Solomon? You've heard of it since you were a little boy. You know your mother was an adulteress with me as an adulterer. But you know God forgave us both and gave you to us. You know that I was keeping sheep as a boy and my brothers didn't even remember me. But the Lord used me to kill Goliath. The Lord made a covenant with me that he would build me a house. And on and on the Lord, the David could go to Solomon as a boy. Know thou the God of thy father. He is this real. He is this personal. David knew him and you know more about him than David did. Go to Him. Embrace Him. Love Him. See Him in everything. Thank Him for everything. Delight in every virtue and attribute that the Bible tells us of Him. See His power everywhere. See His mercy everywhere. It's all around us. That Paul could say, He is not far from every one of us to pagan Greek philosophers. How close is He to us? Know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart, and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts, and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, if thou seek him, if thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. This is the word of the Lord. And I believe the entire verse, all of it, with equal power, it is true. If you seek him, you'll find him. If you forsake him because you've got more important things in your life, he will cast thee off forever. That doesn't have to mean pull your name out of the book of life and rip you out of heaven and send you to hell. That just means that God left Solomon for the rest of his life. And what a messed up life it was. What a verse. Know thou the God of thy father. Do all of your father, do all of you fathers tell your children about the God you've known all your lives? Do you children understand the God of your father? Do we all understand David saying that? That he can be known. He can be sought after. And if we seek after him, we'll find him. He's with us this morning. I don't, he should be in you. He should be so close to you. You know him better than anyone else you know. Look at Hosea 5. Daniel, Hosea. O Lord, we love thee. Draw nigh to us as we draw nigh to thee. And be thou found of us as we seek thee. And let us know thee as we desire to know thee and to delight in thee as we desire to delight in thee. Listen, if you have sins in your life, the Lord doesn't seek your grief. He doesn't seek your tears or your crying. He seeks your confession and calling upon the name of Jesus Christ who did the strong crying already for you in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying that you can't even approach. He's already done the crying and the weeping. And look at what he says here if you have sins in your life. And I'm sorry to bring this up right now, but I'm going to to bring up the whole counsel of God. This is the Lord speaking, verse 15 of Hosea 5. I will go and return to my place. You don't ever want to hear that. 
You don't ever want that to happen till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. But we don't want God to go away from us and return to His place and then afflict us to get us to seek Him. We want to seek Him before He needs to do that. So let's confess our sins. And Lord, we confess our sins, lest there be anything between Thee and us. David said, Take not Thy Holy Spirit from me. He understood the revealing ministry of the Spirit of God in Psalm 51. So let us acknowledge our offenses. Lord, forgive us. Joel, Amos come next. And I want Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. You say you're making this subject awfully important. The universe was created to know God. Jesus was sent to die on the cross to know God. The Bible was written to know God. The Holy Spirit was given to know God. The ministry was given that the Lord God might dwell among them. Psalm 68, verse 18. Where do you want me to stop? Everything is that we might know Him. He was an independent being that had need of no one We cannot add to him nor take away from him. He was infinitely happy in and of himself, but he chose in that infinitely happy being to reveal himself to a select audience. And we are the beneficiaries, and the whole universe turns on that drama for us to know God. And I want to accelerate the process, not wait for it in heaven. I want it now, and I want more of it now. It's the most important thing I could preach to you. If I die on this subject, I'll be content. In my 80th year. Amos chapter 5 and verse 4. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. Seek ye me, but seek not Bethel nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba. Those were places of idolatry. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord, and ye shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph. Do you know how much he loved Joseph? But he could break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. Ye who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth, seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion. Speaking of the stars above and the constellations of them, seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion and turneth the shadow of death into the morning and maketh the day dark with night and that calleth for the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is His name. Seek Him. Seek Him. Seek Him, and ye shall live. You seek anything else in this world? You make idols out of covetousness? The Bible knows that you're going to say, I would never be guilty of idolatry. I would never worship a Buddha. I would never worship Zeus, Jupiter, Ashtaroth, Rimen, or Baal. So he tells you this. Covetousness is idolatry. In the New Testament, if you covet something God hasn't given you, and it's what's driving you, and it's what fascinates you, and you're not content right now with knowing God and your life, and that doesn't mean that you're not making preparations to some modest degree for the future, But if you're not content, then you have an idol in your heart. Cast it down and seek Him. Oh, there's no one that makes the seven stars or the seven sisters, as they're called, an Orion, like the Lord God. Seek Him and He will be found. May the Lord bless you to understand the importance of this subject. May it not even need to be said to be important to you because it's the the only delight of your soul that you want to know Him.
And may we know him better and better. And as we draw nigh to him, as we confess our sins, as we delight in him, as we speak to him, as we realize that Jesus Christ came to just part everything so that we can go straight into the presence of God, that we will cast our sins where they belong, out of our memory, because they're out of his memory, and go straight into the presence of God. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word, that this church, that you, that your family, that I, will draw closer to him, that we'll know the God of our fathers, that we'll know the God of David, that we'll seek him and find him. Amen.